You're listening to Work Tape, episode 47. All right, welcome back to the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Mitchell Palmer. Uh, we got Isaac Grover as well. And in the last episode, before we decided to kind of transition over, we were talking about cult-like fan bases and how Kanye convinced a whole bunch of people who spend $200 on a half-baked <laughs> album that basically was almost the equivalent of just demos or throwaways at this point. I mean, seriously, if you listen to the, I mean, seriously, if you listen to the production on this, no, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off for a second. Because if you listen, if you listen to the production on this, I'm just like, who in their right mind would spend $200 for an album that's not even like fully finished? Like, I just like, you realize that most artists, especially like independent ones, could never get away with this. It, no. It's only Kanye that could get away with this. I mean, you could maybe say the same thing about some of the artists, other artists we mentioned previously with cult-like fan bases. I mean, maybe Beyonce could get away with it. Maybe, maybe. no, but you're but you're right, Kanye. I mean, he started off pretty well, but he eventually cultivated uh, a habit or a cult, like a, a culture of where he just gives unfinished albums, and everyone's just semi okay with it. Well, and that and the see the thing is, is we allowed him to do that in 2016. Yes, we did with the life of Pablo, which was the first time that I had ever heard of a software update or a patch update for an album. Which I'm like, <laughs> that was previously an unbeknownst concept where, you know, with the resources and with how much time that you had to spend in the studio, you could not just put out like kind of a half completed product. And if you did, it was just going to tank. It was like, it was going to either tank or it was going to maybe develop like a little bit of a weird following in the sense of it being experimental, maybe something along the lines of like, Godspeed you Black Emperor or death grips or something where people might just think, oh, it's edgy. It's experimental. Oh, he's, you know, going against the grain or whatever. But no, like, you know, they, we allowed, we, he set the precedent for the unfinished album with Life of Pablo. And he's just been doing it ever since. And it, it just still kind of like boggles me like, okay, like, you know, I can't really, it's hard to, honestly, it's hard to really formulate a true opinion of an album if it's unfinished. If it's not like the completed one, like you can't really formulate it because you're like, is this really the complete version or is he going to put out, you know, something else? You know, is he going to take tracks off that I like? You know, is he going to add tracks I don't like? Like it, it, it makes it hard as music reviewers and appreciators as we are to kind of to, process what's happening. Right. Because it's ever changing. It's, it's like, you know, the whole thing of, I guess, and he's friends with Elon Musk. So I guess this makes sense where Elon Musk essentially <laughs> software updates for your car. I guess he's like, well, I can do software updates for my albums now. I can also will, run for president for the country. <laughs> I'll still buy. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on that. Get me started on that. And the fact that people actually voted, I mean, some people actually voted them in, which is kind of wild. Yay for yay. <laughs> Oh, I swear. That's, that's if he comes out in 2024 saying yay for yay, I, I where in, where are we heading right now? And uh, like I said, here's 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 a hot take for everybody. If you oh, subtract, wasn't a hot take from the beginning. No, this is a hot. No, this is a hot take from the beginning too. But if you 
you subtract the Scientology and you change their race, Kanye is the Tom Cruise of the music industry. Kanye is Tom Cruise of the music industry. Crazy, but the so-called quality of work is so good that people just excuse it. And the same thing goes with Tom Cruise. Most people would not have a beer with Tom Cruise. Most people would not hang out with Tom Cruise because they think that he's nuts, rightfully so, especially being you know the second under Scientology. Um, people think that he's nuts, but they respect the man's work and they say that he's one of the best. And that's evident by the fact that you know a sequel to a Tom Cruise movie 30 years later is killing it at the box office right now. So in a way... Dedicated fan bases, too. Now, obviously, Tom Cruise has not developed anywhere near the cult following that Kanye has in the sense of this album rollout, in the sense that Kanye, you know, charged, you know, people also to essentially have a listening party at in IMAX theaters. So there's differences for sure. But in the level of like unhinged yet like heavily respected and heavily venerated, like they are pretty much very similar in that respect. So that's that's my take on it. And honestly, with the whole thing, and, and now Ye is beefing with Pete Davidson. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, nay for that. Nay for Ye. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's drama, man. I mean, it's like this drama triangle with Kanye, with him, with Pete, and uh, Drake, who also released something, which we can get into that another time. Well, yeah, I've actually listened to a little bit of that tree. <laughs> I haven't heard good stuff. Not yet. I've, I've listened to a little bit of it. And um, if you really like 90s house music, and if you really like music that would be right at home at a Forever 21 or an H&M, or pretty much just a shopping mall in general, you're going to love this album. You're going to love it. It's, it's going to be album of the year for you. I mean, Drake frequents that house. That's what he does. Yeah, but I feel like his other forays or... Um, Would you say he's had better takes on it in the previous times? That's why? Yes. Okay. Yes, considerably. Oh, so Passion Fruit is still probably some of the best. Yes. Say. That's exactly what I was about to say. I was about to say that Passion Fruit was kind of him navigating that more house space. Mm -hmm. But I think that's mostly in part to the production. And I think it is, I think it is a catchy melody too. Oh, I love that track. Yeah. The one thing I can give Drake at least a little bit of respect for is like, he does have some catchy melodies, like in terms of, you know, just kind of being infectious. Hence why you see a lot of people cover Drake over the course of, you know, their time or whatever. Um, Cause it is catchy and whatnot. And I really like passion fruit too. It's actually, I feel like it's a little more disco. It's, it's a little more, there's productions of it that are a little more. Dun, dun. Yeah. Well, the claps too. Like, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and just the bass line and and whatnot. It, it's a little more. It's a little more disco influenced. Um, which I wonder if that track had a big part in maybe like a resurgence of this whole disco thing that people have been doing with a little bit. Yeah, the weekend's done it. Dua Lipa's really leaned into it a lot. I mean, that's pretty bona fide electronic. Like. I kind of liked Drake because um, the stuff he was doing really resonated with me as someone who really did grow up listening to a lot of like uh, drum. I almost called it bass and drum. <laughs> I love to invert things. No, um, uh, drum and bass and, yeah. you know, and jungle. Like UK garage. 
Yeah, and I'm not saying that Drake is jungle by any means. I'm just saying you have to like jungle if you're an electronic person, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's what I meant. Of course, yeah. And I mean, I guess the the thing that I just, I think about is, well, Passion Fruit Drake was really good because it wasn't the watered-down dancehall music that he was doing on the previous album, Mm -hmm. where it was taking dancehall and diluting it so far down that, like, I don't know, I feel like the integrity of of the track, like, was kind of lost. Like, you know, he wasn't speaking with a friggin' Jamaican accent saying, like, Nobody move, nobody get hurt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, he's not singing in patois or anything, which is you know good. For some reason, feels like he can speak in patois at times, but he hasn't tried to sing in it, which is good. But yeah, this album that he just put out, this surprise album, um, basically, it's music for Forever 21. It's music for H&M. I would laugh if it was a bunch of women who weren't pregnant. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not. It, the album covers at least a little bit better. Actually, I mean, to be honest with you, I actually find parts of this new album more enjoyable than CLB. CLB was kind of just a, a big snooze fest of an album. I mean, there was some tracks on it that were kind of solid. Um, mostly, I think, in the features, the fact that he had Jay and Travis. Um, I know Travis being a problematic artist for numerous reasons, but... He's not alone. There are a lot of them. But uh, I feel like there was a few tracks on there that were really good on CLB that were solid, but... Sorry for that. I know we can reel it back to uh, Kanye's beefs, uh, but yes, his underproduction, I agree with you. Like, he's established that since Life of Pablo. I mean, he did that. He's been doing that pretty consistently, and... Yeah. I, I agree with you. I feel like he's probably the only artist I can think of who can get away with underproduction, and he's still somehow... I mean, this is the guy who did graduation and dropout. I mean, the same guy who also did, you know, twisted fantasy, whatever. Like it's just well, or, I mean, eight oh eights too, eight oh eights and heartbreak. Oh yeah, I heartbreak. Mean, yep. Was that oh six? No, oh wait, that was oh eight, right? Oh eight, yeah. Oh eight, yeah, it was oh eight. And actually, I mean, eight oh eights and heartbreak. I I hold really highly as an album, mostly because like it, it was like revolutionary at the time. Yes, it was. And I think, honestly, if it wasn't for the success of 808s, would we have Drake? Would we have The Weeknd? Uh, no. I, my answer is no. No, I don't think so. No. Not like what we have today. Right. So it set that precedent for, like, sad boy rap R&B music that um, so many of these Toronto artists, like, piggyback off of. And, um, you know, the sad boy hours. You know, I, I, I'm expecting Drake to put out a freaking album called Sad Boy Hours, and it's just all that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that that's a good AI-generated title. <laughs> yeah, and if, if he doesn't, I will. I'll put out an album called Sad Boy Hours. And it just sounds like a bunch of Drake songs. <laughs> like, and just controlling people. I'll say it's a Drake. I'll, I'll actually say it's a Drake album, and then it's not. It should be actually AI-generated Drake music, and then call it that album name. Sad Boy Hours. <laughs> Imagine it charts higher than like. <laughs> imagine it. Imagine it charts to the Billboard Hot 100 because it's just Drake. Oh, Hot 100s. We're talking about Hot 100s, and we're talking about songs that have resurgence. Yes, yes. Stranger Things has. Uh, okay, yeah. With the emergence of, well, not the emergence, but really the everlasting popularity of Stranger Things has allowed for. Once 
previously like forgotten songs and or just gems from the era, meaning the 80s. They've opened up a portal, so to speak, um, which of course is appropriate being that, you know, they go through portals in the show uh, for a lot of these songs to get a, a little bit of a, a resurgence and a boost. But that is going to have to wait for the next episode. Once again, it's been your boy, Mitchell Palmer. We got Isaac Grover and uh, it's work tape forever. Peace. Peace. Peace.